Hey guys, it is my second to last installment of my holiday break series where I am sharing old episodes and um, episodes where I was a guest on other podcasts from the year and taking more or less the month of December a little bit off from the podcast. And I'm really excited about the episode that I've got put together for you today. It's actually the first two installments of a three-part series um, that I did back in the summer on your business alignment. And the third part is also great. I didn't want to make this episode super, super long. And I also um, feel like that one is kind of its own standalone. But if you're interested, I would recommend that you go back and listen to that as well. But what I'm going to be letting you revisit today or visit for the first time potentially is a series that I did on alignment in your business, which I think is super important to revisit periodically. Um, And one of the best times that you can visit the alignment of your business is around the beginning of the year. So as we head toward the end of 2020 and into the beginning of 2021, I am really excited to give us all the opportunity to sort of think through the alignment in our business. And this episode came with what I believe is a really great free download um, that I know not all of you have. (laughs) And so once you've listened, I would absolutely recommend that you go to thiscan'tbethathard.com slash podcast slash 069, which is this episode number. Um, to grab that because um, in the first couple of weeks of the year, if you can just sit down and really work through the various pieces of the alignment of your business, that is going to set you on the right course for setting good goals and get making your business as good as it can be for the coming year. I hope you enjoy. And if you celebrate holidays in December, happy holidays. Welcome to This Can't Be That Hard. My name is Anami Tonkin, and I help photographers run profitable, sustainable businesses that they love. Each week on the podcast, I cover simple, actionable strategies and systems that photographers at every level of experience can use to earn more money in a more sustainable way. Running a photography business doesn't have to be that hard. You can do it, and I can show you how. Imagine you walk into a job interview. You make introductions and small talk. Then your interviewer says, uh, let me describe the job we're considering you for, and then goes on to tell you the following. So he says, first, this position has no guaranteed paycheck. You may make money or you may not, but if you ever do make money, it will probably take a while to get there. Second, there are parts of the job that are fun, but I also want you to know that you're not going to have any support. You're going to be doing lots of menial, boring tasks along with the fun stuff. And if you don't know how to do those things, it's your responsibility to figure them out. Third, we don't offer insurance or retirement benefits or child care credit of any kind. There are no paid holidays or days off. And although the work hours are flexible, I want you to know that when you're not working, you're definitely not going to be making any money. Oh, and if you're injured or disabled in any sort of serious way, we're going to have to let you go. (laughs) So if you are interviewing at a bank or an accounting firm or a manufacturing company of some sort, and this was what they told you, you would laugh your way out the door, right? 
But let's say that the interview was for a job you really wanted. You loved the work. You felt passionate about it. And let's say that although the paycheck wasn't guaranteed, you knew it was possible to earn a good living because you'd seen other people who had found success in that field. It just required tenacity and some ingenuity. Okay, so maybe that makes it worth the risk to you. Maybe not. And when I say the risk, I don't just mean the risk of not making money. I mean the risk of feeling like a failure, of having your spouse get frustrated because you're not holding up your end of the financial bargain, or of turning 35 or 45 or 55 and realizing that you don't have any retirement savings. It's the risk of getting sick or disabled or being sidelined by a global pandemic, for instance, (laughs) and having no safety net. Those are real risks, and they're the risks that we as entrepreneurs sign up for. So why do we sign up for them? Well, for some, that potential payoff is big enough to warrant the risk. But we're photographers. That's typically not a business that you go into in the hopes of making millions. We're here because we want to create art for a living. We love it. We feel passionate about it. And we can't imagine a better way to spend our time working. But the fact is that love and passion are not enough to protect us from those real-world risks that I just talked about. What's more, because of the love and passion that we feel, most photographers actually have a really hard time drawing the line between the worth of their photographs and their own self-worth. They use words like passion in their bios, They share intimate details of their personal lives and their kids and even their religious beliefs when talking about why they do what they do and why someone should hire them instead of someone else in their market. The cultural trend toward the hyper-personalization of small business seems really enticing on the surface, but it cuts both ways. When your Instagram post doesn't get as many likes as you thought it would, or when a potential client says you're charging too much, It doesn't feel like a business transaction. It feels really personal, like being picked last for the team. As an entrepreneur, you and you alone are in the driver's seat of your business. And whereas that can be the very best feeling in the world when things are going well, it can also be extremely hard and feel extremely lonely when your phone isn't ringing or a client gets upset or another new photographer in town starts to poach all of your business. So to recap, the reason why we deserve to make good money and love our jobs is that doing so involves a lot of personal investment and vulnerability, and that's only worth it if we're getting paid and enjoying the process. Today is the first of a two-part episode based on the talk that I gave at the Family Narrative in 2019 that ultimately inspired this podcast in the first place. It's called Creating a Business That Feeds Your Soul and Your Family. And even if you've heard this talk before, I hope you'll tune in. In the year and a half since I first gave it, I've had some time to tweak it and make it better. And I'd like to think that it's full of good food for thought. Welcome to This Can't Be That Hard. My name is Anami Tonkin, and I help photographers run profitable, sustainable businesses that they love. Each week on the podcast, I cover simple, actionable strategies and systems 
that photographers at every level of experience can use to earn more money in a more sustainable way. Running a photography business doesn't have to be that hard. You can do it, and I can show you how. Let's talk about the differences between when businesses succeed and when they fail. In order to do that, I'd like to introduce you to the metaphorical mascots of the three business models that I see out there in the world. And they are the unicorn, the workhorse, and the donkey. And I want to warn you that just like in real life, you shouldn't jump to any conclusions about whether one of these is better or faster or more popular. You might be surprised as we go through about who appeals to you most. The unicorn model is a high-end boutique model. In photography, that means custom sessions, artistic editing, fine art product options, bespoke design, and usually a big price tag on the bottom line. Clients expect to be really wowed by the work produced. They expect a lot of pampering along the way, and overall, they expect something of a magical experience. What they don't expect are problems of any kind, and they also don't expect a bargain. So the photographers who use the unicorn model generally have fewer clients because of the time and effort involved with working with each of those clients, but they earn more money per client in order to make a reasonable living. Hang on, guys. I have a quick message for you. Are you feeling stuck in your photography business? If you're bogged down or burned out or unsure what the next right step is, you're not alone. I've been there and I know firsthand that quicksand feeling where the harder you struggle, the more stuck you feel, which is why I created the Photographer's Business Plan Glow Up. The Glow Up is a five-part workshop designed specifically for photographers like you. In the Glow Up, I lead you step-by-step through a process that will help you clarify your goals, identify the sticking points that are holding you back, get inspired by some of the systems and strategies that are working today in the photography industry, and then create a completely custom roadmap to take you from where you are now to where you want to be. It truly is a glow up for your business. Getting perspective can be nearly impossible when you've got your nose to the grindstone day in and day out. So this short workshop is an opportunity to reset, reevaluate, and rejuvenate your business, and it's all on demand. If that sounds like exactly what you need right now, click the link in the show notes or go to go.thiscan'tbethathard.com slash glow to get started today. The second model is the workhorse, and the workhorse caters to a more mid-range budget. Workhorses offer skilled, reliable service and professional products and their clients expect a good, solid product and experience at a moderate price. So workhorses streamline their process to accommodate more clients while still delivering good value and usually some personal touches that make their businesses unique. And finally, there's the donkey model. The donkey is a beast of burden. (laughs) He does a lot of work for lower pay, but if the volume is there, He can earn just as much as or even more than his horse and unicorn counterparts. The donkey attracts clients with low prices, but then is able to handle higher volume because he gives each client a very defined and limited amount of time and doesn't include any bells or whistles. 
So there are examples of these kinds of businesses everywhere, right? Not just in photography. If we're talking about jewelry stores, Tiffany is the unicorn, K Jewelers is the workhorse, and perhaps the pawn shop down the street is your donkey model. All three may sell diamonds, but the process and the experience are totally different. Same thing with grocery stores or hotel chains or car brands. In every category, you have businesses that charge a premium price for a luxury product and experience. And there are other businesses that crank out a good enough product and they offer that to a wider audience at a lower price. And the thing is, any of these business models can work great, right? Gucci, Chanel, Prada, all three of those are for sure unicorns in the fashion retail world, and they've all been around for over a century. Budweiser, which is manufactured at low cost and high volume, has an annual sales average in the billions with a B. (laughs) Perhaps they should change their ad mascot from the Clydesdale to the donkey. And speaking of workhorses, there are tons of those too. In fashion retail, you'll find the workhorses in nearly every shopping mall. In grocery stores, your regular neighborhood supermarket probably operates on the workhorse model. And if you drive a Toyota Camry like I do, you are riding around in a workhorse. And what do all those have in common? They're successful. So when do businesses fail? Well, let's imagine a couple of scenarios. You walk into Tiffany's, all excited to buy some extravagant necklace that you've had your eye on forever. You've been saving and dreaming about that little blue box, and the day has finally arrived. So you walk in the door, and instead of being greeted, the salesperson is on her phone and ignores you for the first 10 minutes you're in the store. Finally, she walks over and you ask to see the necklace and she says they have a very strict no touching policy unless you've already made the purchase. That seems kind of weird, but despite all of that, you've had your eye on this necklace for a long time. So you fork over your hard earned money and she hands it to you in a Ziploc bag. (laughs) Where's the boss? So... You ask, and the salesperson rolls her eyes and tells you, we're out of boxes. But you know, it's just a box. It's not the necklace. So what happened there? Are you excited to have the necklace? Sure. Maybe. Has Tiffany's lived up to the expectations you had for it? (laughs) Even though the necklace is exactly what you wanted? Not at all. If that were to happen, I would say that Tiffany's was venturing into dirty unicorn territory. So a dirty unicorn is a brand that promises a luxury experience, but doesn't follow through on anything except the big price tag. In the photography world, that might be the boutique photographer who's been in business for a while, but is starting to phone it in. Maybe her prices and her reputation are at the top of the market, But at this point, her heart's not really in the game. Maybe she's burned out, she's starting to cut corners, or maybe she's just kind of resting on her laurels. Meanwhile, in her town, there are new, talented photographers in the area who are offering similar quality, but they're paying more attention to the new trends and their clients' wants and needs. The truth is that reputation gets you a long way. But when you build a business on luxury and client experience, Your client's expectations are very high, and disappointing them even once can be deadly. Another example in the photo world 
would be the new photographer who wants to establish a unicorn business model, but doesn't yet really have the resources necessary to provide that unicorn experience. So I want to point out that that is rarely an issue with the photographs themselves. Instead, it's more often a lack of understanding on the part of the new photographer on how to really create that luxury experience. Part of the luxury experience is demonstrating a lot of authority, which can be hard when you're new. It's also hard when you're not really confident about products or the answers to questions, or if you question your own pricing and seem to hedge. Confidence is a really big part of the unicorn experience. The mystique around the luxury brand experience plays a large role in establishing that high value in a client's mind. But there are other kinds of failures as well. Let's say you're in desperate need of a new pair of jeans, but you don't have any spare cash lying around. So you head to a new store in town that's been advertising what appear to be really nice looking jeans that only cost $15. As you walk in the door, the clerk hands you a glass of champagne and you start to think, "Uh uh-oh, there must have been a typo in the ad. They obviously forgot a zero or two on the end of that $15. But no, the attentive, well-spoken sales associate assures you all of the jeans are only $15. Actually, everything in the store is $15. The clothes are all beautifully hung and arranged, and as you walk across the soft carpeted floor toward the dressing room, The sales associate makes some great recommendations about a few designer tops that would look amazing with your new jeans, and all of it's just $15. Sweet. You end up spending a little bit more than you thought you would, but you plan to come back the next week after your paycheck comes in because this place is amazing. Sadly, the next week when you show up ready to buy out the store, the doors are locked and the windows are shuttered. What happened, you wonder? Everyone I know was going there to buy their clothes. Turns out the shop had no problem bringing customers in, but then the rent came due. And this, my friends, (laughs) is the horny ass business model. And if you're not driving right now, I really hope that you'll go to thiscan'tbethathard.com slash podcast slash 038 to see the avatars that I created for these mascots, because honestly, (laughs) they were my favorite part of the talk that I gave at the Family Narrative. Seriously, I will uh, pause to give you a second. Did you go look? The horny ass conundrum is quite honestly a failure that we see all too often in photography. It happens to people who start out with the very best of intentions, although perhaps not the broadest business experience. These are people who daydream about starting a photography business and they love the idea of giving people a really amazing experience. Because really, who doesn't want to give their clients an amazing experience? So They start out by looking around at the businesses that they admire, and they try to do their best to imitate them. They buy expensive gear, fancy website templates, custom logos, branding, you know, the fancy gallery software. They pick out their favorite products, and then they buy samples to share. And of course, all the while, they're filling their Instagram feeds with photos that maybe are gaining some traction, and everything feels like it's on track. But when it comes time to actually set up their pricing model, the imposter syndrome sets in. And this is where they deviate from imitating the businesses that they admire so much. They figure that 
Because they're new, they can't price their work quite that high. And whether or not they know my terminology, what they have is a fear of being a dirty unicorn. So what do they do? They set their prices low, too low to account for the money that they've already invested, much less the money that they need to make to be profitable. And they tell themselves that this is just a starting point. This is just to be safe, and soon they'll feel more confident and they'll raise their prices accordingly. So what happens then? Well, some people get busy at that low price point. In the short term, that feels amazing, right? It validates their decision to go into business in the first place, and they're really happy for the work. But soon they start to burn out because they're working really hard to offer that luxury experience, but they're not getting compensated for it. And often when they try to raise their prices, they get met with a lot of resistance. The problem? They've established a value point for their clients. And once that point is established, it's really hard to break free. Usually, breaking free means getting a whole new roster of clients. Because the clients they've worked with at their low prices, even the ones they know can afford higher prices, tell them that their new prices are too high. So they start feeling stuck and they can't figure out a way forward. Other people don't get busy initially. They struggle to get work even though their prices are low. And of course, that only increases that feeling of imposter syndrome. They sit around wondering what they're doing wrong and that deep-seated insecurity starts to bubble to the surface. And they assume that the reason that they're not getting work is because their photography isn't good enough to warrant even the low prices that they're advertising. So what do they do? They cut their prices again. They're set up to be a unicorn, this boutique style business, and now they're working for pennies. So what's going on here? I mean, maybe this person isn't getting work because their photography isn't great, but oftentimes that's actually not the issue. Think about it. There are some really bad photographers out there making lots of money. Why? probably because their brand is aligned properly as a unicorn, a workhorse, or a donkey. Because the thing is, it's really hard to entice customers with a confusing brand. And a low-end brand promising high-end art may very well scare some people off just by virtue of appearing to be too good to be true. Those poor horny asses. (laughs) I'm going to continue to laugh at my own joke. What becomes of them? Eventually, they either shake loose of this death spiral and start over with a clearer vision of their business, either raising their prices or choosing to offer a different product and experience for the lower price point that they're charging, or they just close up shop for good. And in that case, they usually close up with a sense of real shame and failure about the whole experience. There's a third category of businesses who maybe don't fail outright like the horny asses and the dirty unicorns, but maybe they struggle longer and harder than they should. For example, what about that photographer whose website says he specializes in everything from sports photography to professional headshots to underwater weddings to newborns? Or the other photographer whose reviews on Google range from a couple of people who are thrilled to a client who's threatening to take him to court? Or what about the photographer whose name you can't quite remember because everything from her branding to her photos to the wording on her website is just like 
every other photographer you've looked up. These, my friends, are the lame horses. (laughs) In between the two more extreme examples of the dirty unicorn and the horny ass, there are a thousand different formulas that don't quite work. Most businesses and products fall somewhere between the top and the bottom of the market. And when you put your business in that mid-range, it feels like a safer bet in many ways. The problem is that there is a lot more competition in the middle, and you will have to work a lot harder to make yourself stand out. Otherwise, you're just kind of limping along like a lame horse. So I have given you a lot to think about here. Can you identify your own business model among these? Are you set up to be a unicorn, a workhorse, or a donkey? And can you see where you might have some areas of your business that get dangerously close to the dirty unicorn, the lame horse, or the horny ass? The good news is that getting your business into alignment isn't as hard as it may seem. In fact, the hardest part may just be in our own minds. Many of us feel pressure to run a business that looks and feels a certain way or appeals to certain people even if that's not really what's right for us or our market. What if I told you that all you need to do to attract and maintain a loyal, happy client base is to get 100% clear and consistent about three things. Who you are, who your clients are or should be, and what it is that you offer. And then use those three principles to guide all of your decisions about your business. That kind of consistency will allow you to eventually find and connect with your target audience and over time will allow you to build trust with them. The side benefit to developing that client is that you yourself will come to fully believe in your brand. And that, my friends, is an amazing weapon in the battle to be a successful small business artist. So next week in part two of this episode, I'm going to help you do just that. And I can't wait to see you there. You know that feeling when you're trying to screw a lid onto a bottle or a nut onto a bolt and the threads just won't line up and sit right? Not only is that misalignment frustrating, it also means your bottle is going to leak or the nut and bolt won't function properly. Well, the same goes for your business. When it's misaligned, you can feel that there's something off. Even worse, so can your prospective clients. A misaligned business is vulnerable to failure because the misalignment prevents it from functioning properly. Today, we're going to talk about the five major areas of business that you need to align to create that perfect fit, that smoothly aligned system that works for you. And I call those areas the five P's because they stand for your preferences, your parameters, your products, pricing, and policies. And if all five of those P's make sense together, if they're aligned with one another, your business is going to be set up for success, presenting an enticing and cohesive set of solutions to your ideal clients. So first, let's talk about preferences. Examining and listening to your preferences is what will help you design a business that makes you happy, a business that you love to run. And that seems pretty obvious and easy, right? But it's not. Look around you. Photographers everywhere, people from all kinds of backgrounds who live in different areas and serve different populations, 
So many of them post strikingly similar photos and run strikingly similar businesses. How is that possible if people are really being true to their own preferences? The truth is that most people never get really honest with themselves about what makes them happy because they don't trust their own instincts. Instead, they look around and try and decipher what they think other people want or just try to emulate what they see other photographers doing. I put preferences first on this list because they really should be considered first. One of the quickest routes to burnout is trying to be something or do something that isn't authentic to who you are and what your artist self wants to put out into the world. And the important thing to remember about preferences is that they're not static, so they need to be revisited periodically. If you're brand new, you may have ideas about what you're going to prefer and what you're going to be good at, but you're almost definitely going to find that these change or at least become more refined as you go. So it's good to check in, let's say once a year or so, to see what's working for you and what isn't. In the workbook that I put together to go along with today's episode, you'll find an entire page full of questions about your preferences. And whether you're new to business or have been in business for years, I think answering those can help you achieve some clarity. Just remember, it's your business, no one else's. So these really need to be your preferences. Don't be distracted or influenced by what you think will work. What other photographers do or what you believe clients want isn't really relevant here. Just be honest with yourself. The second thing you need to do when evaluating your business is take a good look at the parameters you're working with. Your parameters include three major categories, your time, your resources, and your money. Your time is the time that you have to dedicate to your business, as well as the amount of time that it takes you to do your work. Your resources include the obvious stuff like your equipment and your studio or your office space, but they also include your special or unique talents and abilities. Like maybe you're a doula and that's a really big selling point to your birth or newborn photography clients. Or perhaps you're a well-respected fine art photographer so you're able to charge extra just for your brand name. Or maybe you're the queen of wall gallery design and you sell packages that include complimentary design consultations for your clients. Regardless, putting together a list of your resources is a good thing And maintaining that list will help you make sure that you're taking full advantage of all of your resources. Because once you have that list, you can then go back and check each item to see how it fits into your business model. And again, the workbook that you can download in the show notes will give you lots of examples to consider. So you've got your time and your resources. And then the third corner of the parameters triangle is money, which we all know is everyone's favorite subject. (laughs) And I know I've said it before, but understanding your numbers will put you in a far better position than most of your peers in the industry. This is something I see way too many people struggling with, at least in part because they believe that their confusion about the money side of their business would be somehow looked down on by other business owners and photographers. But I am here to tell you that having talked to tons of people in this industry, including plenty of people who've been in business for years, Not having a full grasp on the financial part of your photography business is actually more common than the alternative. And that is such a shame. Understanding your finances will at minimum eliminate the fear of the unknown, even if it means that you have to make some changes. Knowledge is power. So if you can understand the three main parameters in your business, 
Number one, the time that you have to dedicate to your business and the time it takes you to do all the tasks in your business. Number two, the resources that you have at your disposal and can leverage to make your business stand out. And number three, the money that you want or need to be making in order to be profitable. If you can understand those three things, you'll be able to create a business plan that actually works rather than trying to retrofit a business plan that might not work for you and make it somehow mesh with your preferences and parameters. So once you've got your preferences and parameters all spelled out, what comes next? At this point, you probably have a relatively clear idea about which business model is going to work best for you. The unicorn, the workhorse, or the donkey. And that information gives you a framework on which you can build the rest of your business, which includes your products, your pricing, and your policies. First, let's talk about products. The products you sell need to do two things. Number one, they need to align with your business model. And number two, (laughs) they need to not make you want to stab yourself in the eyeballs. For instance, if your business follows a unicorn model, you need to consider whether you're offering unicorn products. Things like fine art prints, custom framing, high-end albums, and maybe design consultations. If you're selling sheets of wallet prints, or worse, not selling any products at all, that's out of alignment with a unicorn business, which should be marked by a very custom, all the bells and whistles feel at every turn. On the other hand, it would be a mistake for a donkey model business to offer things like high-end albums and design consultations unless they were somehow able to automate that process. More likely, the donkey would offer several low-cost, lower-margin options but might encourage people to spend more by bundling those options together into collections that feature a discounted price. It's important to remember that either of these models can be profitable. You can make money selling low cost or high cost items, but in order for it to work, you have to be sure that your product offerings match your business model and are products and services that you truly believe in and enjoy providing to your clients. Selling something that you don't personally believe in or something that you're not proud of is going to wear on you and it's gonna show through to your customers. And if you find that you can't find products that line up with your business model that you truly love, it might be a good indication that you're not paying attention to your preferences and therefore you haven't set yourself up in the right business model to begin with. So next comes the fourth P, which is pricing. Pricing for your products, as well as things like session fees, will also be informed by your business model. And without making this entire podcast about pricing, I'll give you the basics. The more high-touch your business model, the larger your markup will need to be on the products and services that you sell. So when you go to McDonald's and get a burger for a couple of dollars, the markup by which I mean the percentage that you pay above what it costs McDonald's to make that burger, is quite small. Let's say their cost for the actual ingredients of the burger comes to 50 cents. And then you add in the overhead of that particular store, the money they pay their employees, the money they spend on advertising, all of that money, you add it all together and you divide it by the number of burgers that they sell. And let's say that that comes out to a dollar. And by the way, I am completely making these numbers up, but you get the idea. So in this example, McDonald's spends $1.50 for their burger and they charge you $2. So their markup is 25%. 
Then you go into a fancy restaurant and you order a steak. So this restaurant isn't a franchise, so they're not buying their products in bulk. The atmosphere is nicer than it is in McDonald's. The staff gets trained for a longer time, etc. The steak itself costs the restaurant $8, and the overhead runs $12. And then they charge $35 for that steak, which is more like a 60% markup instead of a 25% markup. And the reason they need the markup to be higher is because they sell many fewer steaks than McDonald's sells burgers. But here's the thing. People eat out at both of these kinds of restaurants, and they implicitly understand that they're getting different things when they choose one over the other. Some people are able and willing to pay for the premium steak dinner experience, and most people will periodically stop by someplace cheap to grab a quick bite to go. No one, though, is likely to go to a restaurant that doesn't make sense to them because what's being offered is out of alignment with their prices. So if you open what appears to be a fast food burger joint, but charge $20 for your burgers without making it super clear what differentiates you from other fast food burger places that charge a fraction of that price, you are going to have a very hard time getting customers. Your burgers may be absolutely amazing, but no one's ever going to know because the cartoonish branding, the lineup at the counter service, and the brightly lit restaurant that smells like fryer oil, all those things tell people that the prices should be much lower. So once they see that $20 burger on the menu, they're going to walk out without even bothering to order. This restaurant is going to fail because it's a dirty unicorn. Conversely, if you're serving local grass-fed steaks in a beautiful restaurant, but you're only charging $10 for them, people are going to be confused. Now, they may well come in and eat, but there's going to be a disconnect there between what they're receiving and what they're paying. And somewhere in their mind, that's just not going to make sense. They're gonna be thinking, where have you cut corners? Is this really local grass-fed beef? Are you underpaying your staff? Ultimately, even if the food is amazing, your guests aren't going to feel like they've had a fancy dinner if they didn't pay fancy dinner prices. And given that $10 per steak doesn't even cover your cost, it won't be long before you're out of business. This restaurant is going to fail because it is a horny ass. If you run a boutique photography business with only a few clients who receive a premium experience, Charging higher prices with larger markups will not only be necessary for you to be profitable, but will also help your clients feel like they're getting that magical unicorn experience. Most unicorn businesses will charge at least five to six times their cost for every physical item that they sell, much more than that in some cases. And they will be at the very top of their local market for the intangible things like their session fees and digital files. Now, if you run a donkey business, what you charge for your services and products will still be profitable, but with smaller margins. Standard markup for a donkey business is only around two to three times cost. So for instance, instead of charging $50 for a print that costs you $5, you might just charge 10 or 15%. And in order to make up the difference for those smaller margins, you'll need more customers than the unicorn business takes on. 
But that's okay because with lower prices, you're going to be able to reach a much broader audience and you're going to have a much shorter, easier workflow with each client. And I feel like I'm ignoring the workhorse (laughs) and I don't mean to do that, especially since most of us likely fall into the workhorse category. I know I do. The workhorse model is just less extreme than the others. Everything sort of falls somewhere in between. And that's true when it comes to pricing as well. So as a workhorse, your prices for intangible products will fall somewhere in the middle of the market and your markups on physical products will typically be around four to five times your cost. And if you think about all of this objectively, it makes sense, right? So why is it that so many of us as photographers feel bad or guilty charging $50 for a print that we buy for $5 from the lab? Why do we turn that into some sort of moral or ethical dilemma, like we're gouging our clients? We aren't. This is the way that businesses work. And if we want ours to work, this is part of what we need to understand. Which brings me to the final P, which is policies. Policies help everyone by making expectations 100% clear. And by sticking to your policies, you establish yourself as a trustworthy professional. No matter what your business model is, you must have business policies in place. And those policies can be found in lots of places. They're going to be in the FAQs on your website. They're going to be in your contract. You can even create a document called client policies that you give to your new customers. You want to have policies spelled out clearly, and you want to make sure that the important ones are not only seen, but also signed off on. In the workbook that I created to accompany this episode of the podcast, I've created a list of about 20 elements of your business that you need policies for. It's just too long a list to go over here in the episode. But each business is going to need different policies that are specific to their own customers and issues. And one thing that I always encourage my students to do is to create a policy anytime something frustrating happens in your business. Problem clients may be annoying, (laughs) but if you look at them as their own small masterclass in what policies you need to create to make your business better in the future, they can actually be an amazing source of inspiration. I want to point out, though, that even though you need policies no matter what your business model is, the nature of your policies is going to be different depending on whether you're a unicorn, a workhorse, or a donkey. The general rule is that the more a client is paying, the more they should be able to expect in terms of policies that favor them and their experience. So for instance, if your business is more of a donkey model, your clients aren't going to be given your personal number so they can text you the night before their shoot to ask you for help with outfit choices. But if you're set up as a unicorn business model, you might very well give out your personal number and tell them that they can call you anytime, day or night if they have questions or concerns. And again, as long as it's in alignment with the rest of your business, none of these things should surprise people. When someone's getting Honda prices, they don't expect a Lamborghini experience. So let's go over the five P's one more time. We've got preferences and parameters, and when you honestly assess those, they help you figure out whether your business should be set up as a unicorn, a workhorse, or a donkey. And then once you've got your business model in place, you can move on to the next three Ps, which are products, prices, and policies. 
And as you create those three things, you will make sure that each of them lines up with your business model. So let's walk through the whole 5P process using my own business as an example. If you're familiar with my story, you know that I originally set my business up very much as a unicorn, but not because I was really assessing my own preferences and parameters. Mostly, I set it up that way because when I started my business in 2010, it just seemed like every educator out there was saying that the only way to make a living as a photographer was to run this very like high-end boutique business with in-person meetings and sales consultations and custom wall galleries and all of that, all accompanied by high prices. So that's what I did. And that worked fine for a while because I was truly set up as an aligned unicorn. But then two things happen, one slowly, the other more suddenly. Slowly, (laughs) over the course of the seven years that I ran that boutique business, I was getting burned out because the unicorn model didn't really align with my preferences. I had several clients that I didn't really feel particularly connected to, people who had money, but who were way more focused on photos as like a status symbol rather than as personal art that they actually cared about. And I was getting really tired of the whole in-person sales song and dance. But burnout is one of those things that you can kind of ignore and shove like deep down inside. (laughs) And in retrospect, I can see that that is what I was doing. I was just sort of saying, okay, maybe I don't love this, but it's fine. It's working. The bigger issue and the one that really forced me to reassess all of this happened when I got divorced. And when that happened, my parameters abruptly changed. Suddenly, I had less time and I needed more money. And that is a tough combination to work with. So my first thought was to switch my whole business over to an all-inclusive model because I figured that would save me a lot of time. But I found that no one, not even my regular clients who were used to my high prices, were willing to pay those same prices for all-inclusive. And in retrospect, that makes sense, right? I was that guy trying to sell the $20 fast food burger because I thought that the burger was amazing so people would be still willing to pay. But the fact of the matter is, it was a dirty unicorn. And what I needed was a really solid workhorse model. Ultimately, that was what led me to develop the simple sales system. And after that, my portrait membership. And although my products, prices, and policies now fit squarely in the workhorse range, the truth is that those systems have made my workflow more like that of a donkey business. So much is automated without actually feeling automated to my clients. And that donkey workflow is exactly what allows me to show up here on this podcast every week. I run a highly profitable one-person family photography business in a mid-sized metropolitan area of North Carolina. And this year, in the midst of COVID, I am on track to make more money with my photography business than I ever have before. I am not padding the truth, and I don't say any of this to brag or toot my own horn. I say it to show you what's possible, and to encourage you with all of my heart to chase that, not only for yourself, but for your clients. Because a photographer who can't run a business quickly becomes a photographer who doesn't get to share their talent with the world. And that's a shame for everyone. I have mentioned it several times now, but I really do hope that you'll go grab the download associated with this episode. 
I've got examples of how different businesses with different preferences and parameters can be creatively structured to be successful. And I've also got a bunch of prompts and suggestions to help you examine your own five Ps to see where they might be out of alignment. And of course, if you're unfamiliar with the systems that I mentioned here at the end, the simple sales system or my portrait membership concept, I'd love to teach you about those as well. And you can find links to information about both of them in the show notes, along with the workbook download at thiscan'tbethathard.com slash podcast slash zero four zero. Well, that's it for this week's episode of This Can't Be That Hard. I'll be back same time, same place next week. In the meantime, you can find more information about this episode, along with all the relevant links, notes, and downloads at thiscan'tbethathard.com slash learn. If you like the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Even better, share the love by leaving a review in iTunes. And as always, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a fantastic week.